Welcome to Understanding the Bible with Pastor Stephen, episode 25, The End Times Revelation. So this is part five. Last time we had covered the overview of John's writing, where he was literally taken to heaven and wrote down literally what he saw. This is not a figurative book. Everything is not to be spiritualized. Understand that when we say literally, that means just like you would read a newspaper or anything else. When there is a metaphor or a simile or another grammar tool, like a vision where he says he sees a sign of something, which indicates it's something other than what the words that he is using, then that is still taking it literally with the proper understanding of grammar. So for instance, chapter 12, where he talks about seeing a sign of a great dragon, and we'll get into that next time. But we also covered the fact that there is uh, interlude chapters where John actually stops the timeline of events and begins to describe in more detail some of the things that he had already talked about or that he was planning to talk about in the next upcoming chapters. So it's similar to a lot of speech writers or research papers where you explain what you're going to tell somebody, then you actually tell them, and then you recap what you had just told them. Then we talked about an outline or the timeline of events chapter by chapter. And we covered chapter eight and nine extensively with the seven trumpets. And it really only does the first six. And the seventh trumpet, we explained how that was actually the last trumpet at the end of uh, the tribulation period. So today we're going to cover chapter 10 and 11, and we'll start with the angel and the small scroll in chapter 10. And we need to come with the understanding that it is Jesus Christ speaking these things. And I'll explain that in just a moment. Let's read uh, verse one through six. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud and a rainbow was upon his head and his face was as it were the sun and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had his, in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth, and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write to them not. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven. And swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and the things that are therein and the earth and all the things that are therein and the sea and the things which are therein that there should be time no longer. So that's what he swore that time would cease. All right. So the first thing is to understand in uh, Revelations 1.14, this is a description of Jesus Christ where he explains that his head and his hairs were white as wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And that is a similar description to this angel, where his feet were as pillars of fire. Understand that a lot of times in the Bible, now mostly in the Old Testament, when the Bible talks about the angel of the Lord, that is a reference to Jesus Christ. So here, it's kind of a new reference, a new name where he is the mighty angel. But if you look at Revelation 4, 2, 
where again, it's talking about Jesus Christ. It says immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a Jasper and a Sardin stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne. So this is the second reference to Jesus Christ having a rainbow around him. Now that is clearly more than just an angel because this is God's rainbow. If you remember Noah, when God told Noah, I will set the rainbow in the sky as a covenant between me and thee without saying the name of Jesus Christ. Remember he's in heaven now and he's this awesome God on the throne. He's describing what he's seeing without using his name. And remember uh, verse six, where he sweared by him that lived forever and ever that time should be no longer. Well, who is he swearing by? Well, he's clearly swearing by God. So this is, a, this is an interesting concept. But can an angel declare that time will be no longer? I would argue no. I, I would argue that only God can cause time to cease to exist. So that is where I primarily say, hey, this has to be Jesus Christ. But uh, if you understand where he swear by him that liveth forever and ever, he's clearly swearing by God, the creator of all things, right? Jesus created the heavens and the earth. And that's what verse six says here is he's swearing by that person, by that God who created everything. So why would he swear by himself? Well, if you think about this, when we swear by something, people would swear on their father's grave or you know, you, you swear by God and you put your hand on the Bible and things like that. We always swear by something that is greater than ourselves. That's, that's what it means to swear that something is true, right? Is you're saying, Hey, based on a higher power, this is how we know this. Well, if you look at Hebrews six thirteen, it says, for when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater he swear by himself. There is no greater than Jesus Christ. So when Jesus Christ is talking and is swearing that something is true, he swears by himself. That's another great indication that this is Jesus Christ. So what is Jesus saying here? Well, verse three, Jesus cries with a loud voice, sounds like a lion. And when he cries, seven thunders utter their voices. And then John is told not to write down what they say. So I suspect that these are more judgments that God, Jesus Christ, is bringing on the earth, but I don't know. So understand that we don't know what the seven thunders will be, but after these seven thunders, then you have verse seven. And this is where the seventh trumpet, the seventh angel, will sound his trumpet and will end the tribulation period, okay? Verse seven says, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound. So there's that long trumpet sound, that last one. The mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants, the prophets. So God is going to finish everything with this seventh trumpet. This is very important because this is the last trumpet that is mentioned in 1 Corinthians and 1 Thessalonians. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. 
This is very important. People use this first to talk about the rapture. And it is very clear here that this last trumpet that Jesus Christ himself is talking about is the seventh angel sounding at the end when the mystery of God is finished. It happens right after the seven-year tribulation. So this seventh trumpet is the last trumpet, and it's further described in 1 Thessalonians 4.16. And it says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Remember that we got all of this from Revelations chapter 10, verse 7. When Jesus Christ is telling him that the seventh angel will begin to sound and that'll be the end. Now we're in Revelation 10, verse 8. So I was just explaining to you that one verse about the seventh angel sounding. Now we're back in Revelation 10, verse 8, where he begins to talk about the little book. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many people and nations and tongues and kings. So what is the point of this? Now, first of all, let me just clarify this. I'm not sure. All right. But I do have an idea of what it is. It could very well be a literal book that God actually made him eat. And the word book actually meant small scroll. All right. Just so you're aware of that. Uh, but, and it could be that Jesus Christ was making him eat something to symbolize something else, which he never explains to us quite possible, but it's most likely that he's using a common language device, such as an idiom. Now, an idiom is a group of words that have been established by people fluent in that language as having a meaning that you cannot understand from the words themselves. For example, kill two birds with one stone. That is an idiom. Fluent and native English speakers understand that this does not refer to harming birds or using stones, but that it is someone completing two tasks at one time. So this phraseology here about eating a book and having it be sweet as honey and bitter in your belly. Think of the English phrases that we use when people say the book was so good they devoured it. That would be the equivalent. We read it all. He understood it. He, he read it so fast and he was so enraptured by its contents. He devoured the book. Another one would be when someone speaks to you and you say, oh, her words were so sweet. Sweet in your mouth, like honey, maybe. <laughs> Indicating that it's a good thing to hear. The woman's intentions were good and it was sweet to hear from her. Clearly, we did not mean we ate her words and they tasted like honey. But we use that phrase, that idiom, right? Here's another one. What about hearing that news made me sick to my stomach? Well, no, it didn't. You're showing distaste or disgust at the horrible thing you heard. So this whole phraseology here about the little book could very well just be an idiom, which was in common use and people understood and, and they didn't try and 
decipher the meaning like we're trying to do today. This has been used before in the book of Ezekiel. It appears to be a figure of speech that the Jews were familiar with. Ezekiel 3.3 says, And he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat and fill thy bowels with this scroll that I give thee. Then did I eat it, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. The likely meaning of this little scroll or little book is that God gave him a small scroll, which after reading revealed to him both a blessing. Finally, justice is happening against the evildoers on earth. And that's the sweetness in his mouth when he first reads it. And yet a terrible thing that is bitterness to him that is just so terrible to hear, meaning that maybe the, he's reading that people are going to die in their sins and go to hell. That's what I believe this is. It's literally using another grammar tool called an idiom that we just don't understand and we're not for sure what it's about. Nobody knows what's in the scroll. So it really doesn't matter. It's pure speculation at this point. But he's revealing to us that he was given more information from God, a book. Now we get to chapter 11. And this is where we read about the two witnesses and the seventh trumpet. So we're going to go through this quickly. The two witnesses in Revelation 1 and 2. And he says, There was given me a reed like unto a rod. And the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty-two months. This is the second half of the seven-year tribulation. Forty-two months divided by twelve months in a year is 3.5 years. Now verse 3. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days clothed in sackcloth. 1,203 score, a score is 20, so that's 60 days. If you take 360 days in the Hebrew or the Jewish calendar times three and a half years, it equals precisely 1,260 days. So we know this is the second half of the tribulation. And here's how we know if you read verse 4 and continuing on, it says, These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. So they can bring miracles and they can defend themselves. And continuing, it says, They have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bombless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three and a half days and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them, which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying, come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. And the same hour there was a great earthquake and the 10th part of the city fell and in the earthquake were slain of men 7,000 and the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. So here we have the three and a half, the second three and a half years of the tribulation. 
And these people are going to prophesy where it said 1,203 score days and then be killed. So they're going to prophesy for three and a half years and do miracles. Look at verse 14. The second woe is past. Remember the woes are trumpets number five, six, and seven. Those are the three woes. So at the end of trumpet six, the second woe, these two witnesses die. And yet there's still a third woe, that seventh trumpet. So why is it not over? It's been seven years. Notice it says that they laid in the street for three and a half days and the world rejoiced. So the seven year tribulation period is over. The seventh trumpet is about to sound. Why are there more days? Well, if you look at Daniel, we've discussed this when I covered Daniel, Daniel 12, 11 and 12, it says, and from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away and the abomination that maketh desolate set up. So we're talking about the middle of the tribulation when the Antichrist walks in and desecrates the temple. There shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. That's an extra 30 day period, more than three and a half years. Then verse 12, blessed is he that waits and cometh to the thousand three hundred and thirty five days. That's an extra 45 days. So it's saying three and a half year tribulation plus 30 days. This is possibly them triumphing over these three and a half days. These two witnesses being dead. They see the dead raised to life. And then they gather the armies of Armageddon in Revelation 19 after this to fight against the Jews and eliminate them. And then it says, blessed is he who waits another 45 days. Why? Possibly that's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. How long do you suppose the battle of Armageddon is? See, whether it happens instantly or whether it takes uh, days or weeks for the battle of Armageddon, I don't know. But my guess is, if you read Revelation 19, maybe this additional 45 days is for the cleanup of the dead bodies. Check out Revelation 19, 17, and 18. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And then verse 21, And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat on the horse, Jesus Christ coming at the battle of Armageddon, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. I think we're going to see a time period, whether it's the 30 days or the 45 days, where there is a great battle, the preparation for the battle, and then the cleanup afterwards of all these millions of dead people and horses. And then we still have the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19, 6 through 9. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. So clearly after the battle, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Well, the bride of Christ is called the church. That would be all the saints. Which if you go back to the battle of Armageddon and the seventh trumpet sounding, and those who are alive and remain, believers in Christ, will join him in the air. Well, that's the bride of Christ. That's probably verse seven right here. For the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife 
is meeting him, has, hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he says unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Well, there you go. That's Daniel twelve twelve. Blessed is he that waits and comes to this three and a half years plus 75 days. Revelation 19, 9. Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb at the end of all this carnage. And then don't forget, you have the setting up of the kingdom of God on earth, the appointing of leaders and rulers and kings, the judgment and trials of those who did not join the army, but the kings and the people of the world who had aligned themselves with the Antichrist. The people, what about the executioners, the people that had beheaded the, the martyrs during that seven year period for not taking the mark of the beast, the 666? Revelation 5.10 says, And he has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. That may take time. I don't know. God could do it instantly. Yes, I understand that. But it could be in the 75-day period that maybe that 30-day period is the battle and the cleanup of Armageddon, and the 45-day period is the marriage supper of the Lamb, the setting up of his kingdom. I don't know, but it makes logical sense. So it makes sense to me that God has this 75 day period separated into two parts, 30 and 45 days for the judgment and then the blessing. Now look at revelation 20 verse four. And I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. I think that those who are martyred for Christ during a seven year period will come back, be established as judges and princes and captains and kings around the world to help Christ rule the earth. And they may actually be able to judge those who had beheaded them. How's that for justice? Now that's my speculation, but it looks like the Bible backs that up here. So we're on chapter 11, verse 14, right? Well, these two witnesses that we just discussed, one of them is clearly Elijah, one of the two people in the Bible who have never died. Second Kings 2.11, and it came to pass as they still went on, that's Elijah and Elisha, and talked that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Elijah never died. If you look at Malachi 4 verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Bam. Elijah is coming back to witness before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, we don't know who the second person is, but we do know that Enoch also never died. If you look at Genesis 5 24, and Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. And everyone else in Genesis 5, so-and-so lived X number of years, and then so-and-so died. And then they get to Enoch, and he doesn't say Enoch died. God took him. Most scholars believe that Enoch and Elijah will be these two witnesses. Now we're back at verse 14. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. 
So this is after the seven years, after the two witnesses have died, laid for three and a half days, and then were resurrected and went up to heaven. So we are at the end here. Verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded the last trumpet. And there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. This is the battle of Armageddon. And the four and twenty elders, which sat before God on their seats, fell upon their faces and worshipped God, the same as in chapter 20, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. This begins the thousand-year reign of Christ. Verse 18. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there were seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. This is the seventh vial of Revelation 16. Remember, we're reading the part of the interlude number two, where he's describing some of the details of the end right after he did the trumpet judgments, but before he tells us about the vile judgments. So this is a quick preview actually of what he's going to reveal to us up ahead in chapter 20. To summarize, we just covered the first half of the interlude where he's jumping all over the place and he's telling some more stuff the in deeper detail. And then he's going back and he's giving us some more stuff. And then he's jumping ahead and giving us some more stuff that he's going to tell us later. So don't be confused about all this. If you, if I did not make any of this clear, just email me and I'll send you a, a copy of my notes here on the timeline. What we just covered was chapter 10, which is Jesus Christ and the small scroll where he mentions the seventh trumpet. And the seven thunders. Then he tells us about the little book, which again, he doesn't give us much detail. So all of chapter 10 is really not telling us what's going to happen, but just giving us some more stuff to think about. Then chapter 11, he jumps back and tells us about the two witnesses and the three and a half years, the second half. And then he tells us about the seventh trumpet, which is just a quick note that, hey, the end is here. And we won't even find out all the details of that until chapter 20. So we're still in the interlude period. Next time we're going to cover chapter 12, where he jumps back to the past, the beginning of the war between Satan and God. Chapter 13, where he gives us details about the Antichrist. And chapter 14, which is a summary of the entire end times. Then the next week we'll go into chapter 15, where he jumps back into the chronology of what is to come in the future. So thank you for listening, and until next time, may God bless you all.